Welcome to the Evaluating Biopharma podcast, where we provide industry decision makers with insider access to veteran bioprocessing experts willing to pay it forward so you can leverage their knowledge, learn from their successes, and even avoid repeating their mistakes. Today, we share a conversation between Rich Musa, Director and Head of Supply Chain at Cipla Therapeutics, and moderator Ben Lockwin, Vice President of Project Solutions, Black Diamond Networks. The two discuss how to anticipate disruptions in the supply chain and how to identify and plan for shortages. Their conversation was recorded at Evaluating Biopharma's recent Supply Chain Challenges online education and networking event. Let's listen in. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of our Evaluating Biopharma event. This time we focus on supply chain. I'm your host and moderator for the event, Ben Lockwin, and I'm delighted to be uh, uh, presenting here today with Rich Musa, who's going to talk to us about uh, various elements of supply chain. Uh, what people who work within or adjacent to supply chain know to be true is that Literally nothing could occur in biopharma without a functional supply chain replete with inputs and outputs. So Rich, it's a pleasure to have you here. If you wouldn't mind, maybe give us a little bit of background about yourself before we kick this off. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for the intro. Great to be here. Uh, yeah, so I've been in uh, the pharmaceutical industry. I don't want to admit, but you know, probably 25 plus years and mostly in manufacturing and manufacturing support functions. I did a, uh, you know, a long stint in external supply as well. Uh, and now I'm uh, the supply chain lead for a, uh, you know, a startup branded products venture uh, with Cipla. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. So you're exactly the person that we need to be hearing from today. Uh, maybe. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> So let's discuss maintaining materials inventory. Yeah. What would you recommend to our audience as the proper way to do materials forecasting? Yeah. So as far, you know, the, the, the big piece here is having a really good relationship with either your demand planners or directly with the commercial team, depending on, you know, what type of organization it is and how the, the forecasting works. It's really, you know, it's not because often you'll just get a number, it'll you'll plug it into SAP and you'll plan against that. Like that isn't, you know, if you're just relying on the system, the system will do its job, but it won't you know, what you really need to do is take a look at what are the extremes, right? What are the potentials? What what sort of uh, demand could, you know, what's the high-end demand? You know, you really need to work mm. with your commercial team and understand, um, you know, what the potential is on the high and the low end, right? To to ensure that you don't have scrap or, or, or won't have enough uh, product to sell. And a lot of how much risk you want to take really is, you know, if it's a very high margin product, maybe with a low cost, maybe you're willing to take the extra risk and hold more, uh, you know, months on hand of your of your inventory. But if it's a very low margin product and your you know your margins are really tight, you really don't want to you don't want to have a lot of scrap. And then of course there's the carrying costs of the capital and the space, et cetera. So uh, you really need to take that all into account, not just plug a number into SAP. I guess is the you know and have plans. Have plans for what happens if because uh, we always used to do this. If it's a high margin product, what happens if the demand doubles? You don't want to leave all that profit on the table. Hmm. So it sounds like a fine balance in some cases with the financials, the space, the expiration dates, the criticality of the material. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. So, I mean, if you don't, you know, and the space you could always buy. So, right, space is money, right? It's just, re- it really comes down to the financials, right? Do, are you, are, is there enough profit margin to warrant, say, risking uh, the extra carrying costs or the extra space? And you, the, the biggest part of it is the scrap, right? Usually, you know, how much, how much are you willing to risk having scrap? Uh, and then again, if it's a high margin product and you want to, and it's a high cost product, maybe mm-hmm. you want to take the time, effort, money to do extra stability studies to extend your your, your shelf life. So um, you, you got to take all those things into into account. Right. Yeah. How would you go about recommending that folks manage their risk versus loss? Um, I mean, it, again, it, it goes back to what I just said. It's really about taking a look at, you know, what, you know, the gains versus, you know, uh, you know, pros versus cons, how much it's, you have to balance the risk versus the, the potential benefit. Again, mm-hmm. if you're making 95% profit on a product and the cost is, is very low, you know, maybe you're willing to, to scrap uh, you know, to keep of you know a year of product on hand, two years on hand, if the expiration date is say five years, right? And you just just to make sure that you have it on hand, so you can sell to your customers at that profit margin, right? Do you have any particular tools that you that you personally like for understanding risk? Um, I mean, a lot of it is um, you know if you're talking about risk of you know, from a manufacturing perspective, um, I guess you, you really want to try to do either, uh, you know, an, an, an FMEA or, you know, make sure that you have a, uh, a robust uh, business continuity plan in place um, to, just, to, just to make sure that you, you, there isn't risk associated with, say, downtime uh, for, for the manufacturing side of, mm-hmm. of a product. Um, you know, because the last thing you want to do is again have that demand in place, and then you know you have your inventory buffer, right? But then you you want to you want to make sure that there isn't any hiccups in the supply chain, and right. you know those sort of tools will help you define you know where your weak points are and implement uh, remediation to to prevent any you know any uh, you know inconsistent any downtime, any uh, you know lack of robustness in your supply chain. Right. Yep. Excellent. And, and so this gets me thinking about then um, a segue into discussing supplier contracts. So mm-hmm. how, how would you ensure that your contract terms ins- ensure supplier commitment? All right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. So, cause you know, lots of times you're, whether, even if you're manufacturing in-house, right, you're relying on, you know, downstream suppliers, you know, at every turn, it's rare that you're doing everything end to end in house. Right. So, you know, and a lot like, you know, right away, people are thinking, you know, we got to just put, you know, firm terms in the contract that, you know, if my supplier doesn't deliver, then they have to pay me X. Right. And, you know, it's very, very difficult to get those sort of terms into a contract. Most people won't accept them. But so you what you really need to do is work with your supplier to implement um, you know, mechanisms on their side 
to reduce that risk, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that they have, I mentioned it earlier, you want to make sure that they, you know, in the contract, they have to have a business continuity plan, right? You might want to require their supplier, them, the, 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 your supplier and their suppliers to maintain a certain amount of safety stock. You want to make, speaking of their suppliers, you want to make sure that they have uh, a good system to to uh, to oversee their suppliers. That's usually done through the quality side of it. That's normally in the pharmaceutical space, a, a quality requirement that they have a good oversight uh um, you know, an audit uh, plan, et cetera, for their their downstream suppliers. Um, so that's important as well. So it's really hard to, or I mean, and the other, the other, you know, one of the <clears throat> one of the clauses that I always like to have in a contract is that you know you want to put in not only are they avail- able to supply, you know, against your forecast, but often we'll put in something that says that they. Uh, have to have the ability at any time to, you know, meet your forecast plus 25%, plus 50%. So that way it prepares the supplier for, you know, understanding that they're accountable for, for meeting your demand requirements, you know, even in a, in a dynamic environment. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned that I think is very critical, uh, business continuity planning. Right. Sometimes overlooked. Um Anything else to say on on that topic of BCP? Just that it's 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 you know it's probably the most important thing that you'll have in your you know from a supply chain robustness standpoint. It's probably the most important thing that you'll want to have in uh you know in your uh, in your in your agreement with any of your suppliers, right? And often, at least for the companies that I've worked with, some of the larger companies, you know, you there's usually resources internally, or you could, again, you know, you could always hire that expertise to have some, because a lot of times your suppliers will be smaller companies that, you know, maybe don't have that level of sophistication. They don't have dedicated, you know, risk management folks that could, that, that know exactly how to implement a business continuity plan. So, you know, often, you know, offering those resources, you know, maybe it'll cost you a little more upfront, but, you know, it'll, it'll definitely save you down the road if, if it, if, you know, once your supplier has this plan in place and, you know, isn't causing you uh, issues down the road because they can't supply because, you know, they didn't take certain risks into account. I mean, because most of the business continuity plans I've seen are very, you know, there's there's te- there's approaches, templates out there that show you exactly, you know, it walks you through the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. couple that with a consultant or someone, in, an internal expert, you know, you could you could even take a few, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a two half day sessions or something with your supplier to go through that. But upfront in the contract, you have to, you know, who, nobody wants to spend that time unless they, you know, that you make sure that they commit to that upfront in, in the agreement. Right. Yeah. And within the context of business continuity planning, it also makes me think of, you know, so it could be things like buffering, buffer inventory and things. And how do you make sure that the business always has uptime when needed then therefore it connects to things like backup suppliers. So on mm-hmm. the reality of backup suppliers, um, what do you think about when it makes sense, when it doesn't to involve backup suppliers? Right. So that's a, that's a really good question because 
Uh, you know, every job I've ever had, you know, your boss is you know, saying, hey, we got to have a backup supplier here. This product is giving us X million dollars or, uh, right. or or billion dollars of revenue. You know, we have to have a backup supplier. And, you know, in the cases where maybe we're talking billions, maybe it makes it makes some sense. Or if you have a commodity product. Right. So, you know, if it's a commodity product where there's a lot of players out there and there's a market for a commodity that that you're uh, that you're looking at, you know, maybe it makes sense to have multiple suppliers, right? And to qualify multiple suppliers, because there isn't a lot of, uh, you know, there wouldn't be a lot of transfer costs associated with that. There wouldn't be any unutilized capacity, right? But then once you start talking about a, a specialty finished good that requires, you know, maybe some specialty equipment, maybe it requires, you know, holding aside capacity, that's where it really gets difficult or impossible to implement, right? Because nobody wants to just hold, uh, you know, capital uh, unutilized, right? It's, it's right. you know, it's prohibitively expensive, you know, and maybe if the, your product is really worth that much and there's you know it might be worth it and maybe you could build in you know some some, some sort of uh you know mechanism with your supplier to allow for that but I, I would say that's rare for a specialty product with commodities again you know if the, if there's multiple players out there and they're they're all making a similar you know uh component then maybe there's you know you could you could have backup suppliers but you know in the, in the case of the specialty product i think it's few and far between where it would really make sense Right. Are there situations where they the undue demands maybe that they place on resources um, potentially aren't worth the the barrier or the cost to entry? Um, I, I'm sorry. Just, just to, oh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, just meaning um, when using or if using backup suppliers, right? That they place demands on your own resources, and is is there kind of a cutoff in your mind where you say that that it's hard to justify that? Right, right, right. Understood. Right, because again, you know, there's going to be you know, you have to support those from yeah. you know, with your internal resources from a regulatory, from a tech transfer, from yeah, from from that perspective. So there's resources internally, plus there's call obviously big costs on. The, the the supplier side right to to maintain that unutilized capacity so again it's you know could it make sense in some circumstances absolutely but yeah. there's you know the, all of these cons don't always come to mind when when it when it comes up so you're absolutely right i don't know if there's a you know in all these situations there isn't a specific cutoff it's a it's a matter of doing you know the financial analysis of you know and and you know say the probability of failure versus how much it's going to cost you to avoid that failure down the road sure and that's when you'd bring your expertise to bear in those situations right right exactly yeah yeah Let's discuss now how a third-party supply chain analysis could provide a clear picture of uh, suppliers' supply chain vulnerability. Right. So, <clears throat> I, I have a I, I don't have a huge amount of experience with this, but I but I do have a little bit. I know that especially this was um, specifically you know recently during during the pandemic, uh, you know semiconductors were were a, a big issue. So that was a lot of our focus, and you know we found that it was it was um, you know you could hire. There's there's companies out there that specifically evaluate your supply chain one two three four steps steps back all the way back to you know 
you know, the, you know, for example, for stoppers, the, you know, the rubber trees that'll, that you need to, right. to make stoppers. Right. So things like that. So, I mean, there's, there's companies out there that it'll, will do the entire, take your product, take the, uh, the evaluation of every critical component uh, that goes into your product, you know, one, two, three steps back and give you a vulnerability analysis uh, from a supply chain standpoint. Um, and then, you know, give you routine reports on the latest, right? And, you know, again, I'm going to use the rubber trees again, right? You know, there, there was a monsoon wherever, and I'm making this up, you know, the, and, you know, the entire rubber tree uh, farm was, was wiped out, right? And you'll get an update on that, you know, with, uh, you know, with an evaluation of what that's going to mean for, uh, you know, for rubber availability in a year, you know, that, that kind of thing. So there are companies out there that will do that for you. Right. Yeah. And, and so that would in, in a sense be a, a detailed root cause analysis, which may or may not be helpful to go down so many levels of recursion that you get to mm -hmm. something you can't solve. Right. Well, I mean, you work with them to, to really highlight the critical, the critical items right yeah um so they'll you know you start off with okay what are the key components here you know and then right away there's things where you know there the risk is is low right because there's you know it's not like one source of a, a component or one source of a of a raw material that goes into that component you know there's ma there's many sources so the risk is lower and it's distributed you know it's not like in one region so oh, you know, good point yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know you, you do that you walk through that evaluation with them like w looking at all the components and you know figuring out where the real risks are and they'll do all the research for you so it's you know it's it's deaf for something that you know uh you know is potentially sensitive to um, you know, to, to, to the, the availability of one raw material or components. And again, it's all back to, you know, what's, you know, what's the profit margin, you know, what is that, you know, what is it worth to do this analysis versus just keeping, you know, if you've got a product with, you know, 10 years expiry and, you know, it really doesn't cost a lot to make and you can maintain lots of it. Maybe it doesn't worth, it isn't worth doing all this work. It's just, it's just, you have to have a bunch of tools in your tool belt, right. Yeah. Uh, to figure out what the best approach is for any given product. Okay. So, and so that's some of the mental math you're doing in those situations to decide which materials are most at risk for disruption. Right, exactly, and you could do that again with 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 a a, a a you know consultant who can help you walk through that process. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I appreciate it, Rich. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add on any of these topics? No, I, I think you grilled me pretty well. Uh, I I, yeah, I think we I think we covered most of it. I mean, it's really you know you know in every every situation warrants a different approach you just have to understand what tools you have out there uh and evaluate the risk and reward associated with it, the implementation of each of those tools great well thanks for being here i i can't thank you enough for for being a part of this sharing your very deep experience with me and with our audience today yep no problem thank you very much thank you we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please visit www.evaluatingbiopharma.com to access the on-demand video and to download the summary article. You can also access the Evaluating Biopharma content archive. Sign up for our newsletter 
and register to attend an upcoming Evaluating Biopharma virtual networking event. Feedback or suggestions? We'd love to hear from you.